0: We're in a series, uh, House of Blues. And um, we're looking at the life of Joseph. Joseph was this guy that I believe had every reason to sing the blues. And yet he had this amazing ability to live life in a God honoring way. Uh, He always gave his very best and God blessed it. And I believe part of the reason as I read through his life story, that he was able to do that was Joseph understood that God was with him. That God was with him in the good things and God was with him through the bad things. And that he also understood that God would use all that stuff and accomplish great things. In fact, things he couldn't have accomplished any other way. And so today, there's a deal going down. And it's reconciliation. I believe it is core to joseph's story i believe reconciliation is what the apostle paul would write about centuries later and he writes in second corinthians the fifth chapter it says so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old is gone the new is here. See, New Deal if you're a Christian. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of what? Reconciliation. This world needs reconciliation. You remember the nursery rhyme? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty, what? Back together again. This world's a mess. There's been a great fall. It's true in Joseph's life. It's true in your life and in mine. Something's broken. It's fallen. And it's shattered. And we want to put it back together, don't we? But we can't. Try as we might, we just can't. It's it's beyond our ability. It's beyond our, our strength. And I believe when life gets like that, that it's really easy to just give up. But there's hope because there's a deal going down. There's hope because there's something greater than our human wisdom. There's hope because there's reconciliation as a possibility. There's a deal going down in Joseph's family in this family saga that we've been looking at. You know, Joseph, he had 11 brothers, one sister, Joseph's daddy's favorite. Joseph walked in the room, and Dad would light up. Dad would brag about Joseph. Dad knew how Joseph was doing in school. He knew about his teachers. He knew his friends' names. He knew what Joseph was into. He knew all... About Joseph. But the other kids? The details were kind of fuzzy in his mind. You know, I figured out uh, there's a thousand ways that kids pick up on the fact that parents show favoritism. Jacob didn't keep it hidden. I mean, it's leaking out and the kids know it. One day, he buys him this designer robe, and we've talked a lot about that. I figured the robe, like, came from Saks Fifth Avenue or something like that. The other brothers, they, the blue light was going at Kmart when they got theirs. But uh, clothes were a status symbol. Joseph wore this incredible robe. And his brothers were reminded every time he put the robe on of Joseph's status. They were reminded of their status, that they weren't the favored. And I believe every time Joseph put that robe on that his brothers died a little bit inside. You know, Joseph has a couple dreams. And then... He realizes, God's speaking to him, that not only is he going to rule over his family, but he's going to rule over all the nations. And so he starts sharing the dreams, uh, kind of rubbing it in their face, I think, a little bit. And you would have thought Joseph would have picked up on the fact that what it was doing to his brothers. But we talked about it last week, he was a teenager. And I think about Joseph's family, and then I think, you know... Aren't, truly, aren't all of our families just a little bit broken? Doesn't every family have their stuff? I was reading an article a while back. uh, It was in Time Magazine. It was a study about sibling rivalry. How many of you have siblings? Let me see hands. Um, In that article, they said, get this, the average two to four-year-old fights about 6.2 times every hour. And I did the math on this. That's about 90 fights a day. 33,000 fights a year. And we wonder why parents with little kids are worn out, you know. But, but par- parenting's a challenge. Sibling rivalry was alive and well in the book of Genesis. And it's especially true in this family, in Joseph's family you got this kind of build that's going on throughout the, the story. The, the fact is, that when the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more, when they saw the robe, if you read chapter 37, it says, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to Joseph. Then Joseph has the dreams. Tells his brothers about it. The scripture says, they hated him All the more. And that that particular line is repeated several times through this story. They hated him all the more. Can can you feel this building a little bit? You got this alienation. This loss uh, of community. One day, his brothers are working in the field. And so, dad sends Joseph out to check up on him. His brothers hated him. His brothers wanted to kill him. Joseph, he's clueless to this. The brothers see him coming a long ways off. And it's interesting because they don't say, Here comes Joseph. Here comes our brother. No, they say, Here comes the dreamer. Do you feel that detaching going on? The brothers kind of detaching themselves from Joseph. That's thought about isn't that what we do when we envy someone? When someone hurts us, when we start hating someone, what we do is we we pretend they don't have a name anymore. Because it allows us to kind of distance ourselves. Here comes the favored one. Here comes the arrogant, would-be ruler with all of his dreams, and it's part of them dehumanizing, separating themselves. So they push him in a the pit. They're going to kill him. They decide it would be better to sell him into slavery. They fabricate the, that story, an unbelievable story, included props with it. They bring the robe to their father. They drench it. And goat's blood. It's theatrical. And it's interesting. When they go to their father, it says they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, get this, think about this. We found this. Examine it and see whether it's your son's robe. This multicolored robe that nobody else wore. Is this it? They didn't say See if it's our brother's robe. They say, see if it's your son's robe. Again, you feel the distance. You feel this separation. And all of a sudden, the, the robe that had been just dad's pride and joy, now it's stained with blood. And, and it's a symbol. It's a symbol of sorrow. It's anguish. It's pain. And it absolutely didn't accomplish what the brothers wanted. The brothers thought when they got rid of Joseph, they thought that they had won their father. They didn't, did they? They just lost a brother. They, they wanted dad to light up when they walked in the room like he did for Joseph. Instead, when you read this story, I I think the light went out in dad. You just got this alienation. You got this separation. You know, brother separated from brother. You got a parent separated from a child. You got people separated from God. You got this coldness, this hardness, this resentment, guilt, alienation. Something's broken in the world. Something's broken. You start the book of Genesis, and it really the whole book's a great, great read, but you start with this beautiful account of God. God's creating the earth. He's creating humanity. And, and it's all good. It's all good. In fact, at one point it says it's very good. It's connected. There, there's harmony. The the uh, Hebrew word they use, Shalom. But Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Breaks. It's wrong. And friends, it's true in your life. It's true in mine. It's true in our families. It's true in our bodies. It's true all over the world. All you got to do is pick up the newspaper, watch TV. It is broken. It's fallen. And all the king's horses and all the king's men and all the really smart people in the world absolutely can't put this back together again. Joseph, Joseph's on this roller coaster ride. His life is this series of good things followed by bad things. Joseph is being prepared for what God had prepared for him. Joseph is developing and he's sharpening his leadership skills. He's Developing his faith, his relationship with God is growing. And last week we covered a lot of territory, but he goes from slavery to prison to the palace. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, uh, the God's warning of a famine that's coming. And Joseph is elevated to the second most powerful position in the world, Pharaoh's number one. Joseph's number two. Joseph now is wearing Pharaoh's robe. He's also wearing his necklace and his ring. And I think God's up to something here. Joseph's preparing Egypt for the famine and they're storing grain and he's got this great program and and it works. They're prepared for the famine when it comes. Joseph's family back home They're struggling. They're they're starving. And so finally, Jacob sends all of his brothers to Egypt to ask for food. Sends all of them except for Benjamin. And this is significant because Benjamin and Joseph, they have the same mom. All the other boys have different moms. But Benjamin and Joseph... They're connected. And you get this sense when you read the story that Benjamin has been elevated to the favored position in the home. Because Jacob doesn't send Benjamin. You know why? He's afraid harm might come to him. Boys, boys, Somebody may get hurt. You need to all go. We're keeping Benjamin here so he doesn't get hurt. Bet that flew well, didn't it? Benjamin's the baby in the family. And it's kind of interesting. Culturally, there's a lot of shifts. I think about, I can usually tell birth order in a home by having people drag out their photo albums. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, people get it out, they go... Here's our firstborn. This is Carol. This is Carol when she was being born. Here's Carol at an hour old. Here she is at two hours old. And about 500 pictures later, you go, here she is on her one-month birthday. (laughs) Here's our second child. Here's Bobby being born. Here's Bobby taking his first steps. And then if there's a third or fourth, this is Tommy being born. We really should get more pictures of Tommy. (laughs) We'll get some when he comes home from school today, you know. (laughs) Ancient culture. The favored child was usually the youngest child. Now, the eldest got all the inheritance, so I'm not sure how you figure that one all out. But... The youngest, the reason why they were so prized was it was a sign of vitality. It was uh, also the youngest, and this part makes sense, was the ones that would care for mom and dad in their old age. So I'm going to guess the thought was I'll treat my littlest one really well because I want them to treat me really well. All the brothers, except for Benjamin, come to Egypt. They are bowing before the Governor, asking for for food, and the brothers don 't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them and, and you 've got this kind of strange encounter going on because Joseph accuses them of being spies, and the brothers are like we 're not spies, uh, you know we 're just a nomadic family uh, in fact there 's just us boys and then we 've got a little brother uh, he 's at home with Dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we've also got a brother that's no more. They're talking about Joseph. See, there's a deal going to go down here. Joseph's like, well, sounds like a good story, but um, you're going to have to prove to me that you're telling the truth. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back. I want you to get this little brother that you claim you have. And I want you... To all bring him back. And if you do that, I will give you what you need to survive the famine. If you do that, you will live. See, there's an undercurrent there. And I, I think at this point in the story, I sit and every time I read it, I think, why doesn't Joseph just put his cards on the table? I mean, his brothers are desperate. He's got the upper hand, right? Now, I wonder, is he he playing with them? Is he being kind of passive-aggressive? But there's a deal going down here. There's a deal going down. Genesis starts with this story of God's creation. This dream of oneness, of community, of shalom. And then Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Sin enters the world. It's all shattered. It's broken. It's something we still live with today. But God has a dream. God won't give up. God creates the world. And then everything just starts breaking. And all the broken relationships in Genesis, it's almost overwhelming. They're just broken. No healing, no repentance, no confession, no forgiveness. They're just broken. Adam and Eve sin. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. But there's absolutely no record in the book of Genesis of Adam and Eve coming to God and saying, God, here's what we did. It was wrong. God, I'm, I'm sorry. Is there something we could do to make things right? You know, please, please forgive us. Nothing. Cain. Cain has a brother named Abel. Cain hates Abel. Cain envies Abel. So Cain kills Abel. Nothing. Nothing. Isaac, Ishmael, they're brothers, but they're divided because of family hostilities. These two. Boys are separated when they're really young and they never reconcile. Jacob and Esau, brothers. There's envy. There, There's deceit. There's betrayal. We're going to talk about that a lot next week. But years later, Jacob would finally meet Esau. And their meeting, you can just feel the, the, the fear and the distrust and the, the anger. It's all there. And Jacob gives presents to Esau. And I think it was a gesture to put an end to the strife between the two. But there's absolutely no record of Jacob saying to Esau, you know what, I am sorry. What I did was so wrong. Please forgive me. The gifts stopped the war. But those two brothers were never together again except to bury their father. And I think about the psalmist. The psalmist says, see how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live in together in harmony. Shalom. You know, last week we left off. The brothers were trying to decide. They were trying to decide who they were going to leave behind as collateral because one of the boys was going to stay there as, as collateral for, for Joseph make sure they returned. And so they, they're trying to figure this out, and uh, they're talking among themselves, and they're kind of remembering the past. They're considering the mess that they're in, and they, they, it's just locked in their brain, and they go speaking among themselves. They said, clearly, we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish and when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why we're in this trouble. When I read the story, Joseph's brothers, when they actually betrayed him, when they threw him in the pit, when they were selling him into slavery, there are no words of what Joseph said. And in fact, we don't even know if he really said anything. But here we are 20 years later, 20 years after these brothers had done that, and they still hear his voice. They, they can still hear and see their little brother begging for his life. 20 years. 20 years ago, they didn't care. 20 years ago, they, were, they weren't listening. 20 years ago... They had hearts of stone. But now there's a deal going down in their heart. They decide they're going to leave Simeon behind. And so they head home. They're working their way back home. And as they're traveling, they they realize that the money that they had given to the governor, or to Joseph, they didn't know it was Joseph, but the money that they had given for the food, it's back in their bag. They didn't know Joseph had returned it or had it returned to them. And I wonder if it was a test. Or I've also wondered if maybe Joseph wanted them to remember. To remember another time when they returned home with more money than they had left with. Another time when they'd returned without a brother. The boys find the money, they they panic. Because it means death. Theft meant death for them. They tell their father what happened. And Jacob decides he's not going to let the boys return. Do you know why? Doesn't want to risk Benjamin. Doesn't want to risk losing Benjamin. Finally, the, the famine is so severe, they're, they're going to die. Everybody in the family is going to die. So Jacob agrees and allows Benjamin to accompany his brothers back to Egypt. But Jacob also gives them double the silver this time. He sends, sends it with them because there's another deal going down here in the midst of this. When, when the brothers get back, they arrive in Egypt, Joseph has them taken to his home. And immediately when the boys get to the house, they find the the house manager. That's the person that would have managed the the funds and money and things of that nature. And so they go to him because they want to get the money situation taken care of. Because they're afraid. And so they explain that as they were returning home, they got looking through their stuff. And somehow they do not know how, but the money ended up back in their bags. And so they offer to give the money back. And they offer to pay for the food a second time to kind of protect themselves, to say, look, we're really trying to be honest here. it's interesting because the house manager says, relax, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have put these treasures in your sack. I know I received your payment. You can kind of see the boys that are like, ah, good, he knows we paid him. Joseph arranges for Simeon. To be returned to his brothers. And then he arranges for a big dinner. To be served. And when the boys go in. To sit down. their little table cards. And they all sit down. And they realize they're all sitting in their birth order. See I think Joseph was trying to recreate something here. He wanted them to remember. Benjamin. Benjamin is given five times as much food as his brothers. Can you imagine? I got one quarter of chicken. He's got five quarters of chicken. I've got, you know, they supersize his meal. And I think, why why did they supersize it? It's a famine. Food's precious. Again, the younger brother is being treated as the favorite. And I think Joseph was watching he wanted to see how the boys were going to respond to this after dinner joseph he sends them home. he loads them up with food and money a tremendous generosity and then he arranges for a silver cup to be planted in their stuff. Joseph waits till they get outside the city he gathers. His servants, he goes, my cup is missing, that silver cup. That precious cup, it's gone. Now he knows where it is. They catch up to the brothers right outside the city. They accuse them of stealing the cup. Brothers are clueless, they don't know. They're like, we didn't take it. In fact, if any of us took it, let that person die. The rest of us will become your servants. We did not take your stuff. See, there's a deal going down. The servants search through their luggage, through their bags. They find the silver cup. It's in Benjamin's stuff. Joseph grabs Benjamin. He says, he's stand with me. He's going to pay for what he did. The rest of you... You do not need to be my slaves. You're blameless. I will supply everything I promised. Your family will have no needs. You are free to return home. And Joseph and his servants and Benjamin ride off and they they head home. Here we go. Brothers, one more time. One more time. With the youngest brother that's the favorite of dad. One more time, they could get rid of him. But this time, they don't have to do anything wrong. This time, they don't have to throw him in a pit and kill him. They don't have to sell him into slavery. No no lies, no guilt. In fact, as far as the brothers know, Benjamin brought this on himself. So they don't have to lift a finger, and they can get rid of the favored one. But this time... The brothers return to Joseph's home. And they all bow down before him. And I love this. Uh, Judah is speaking for all the boys. He says, So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy, instead of Benjamin. Let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. There's a deal going down there. For the first time recorded in Scripture, you got someone offering themselves up. They, they, you got someone willing to suffer on behalf of someone else to save them. You know, the possibility of, of reconciliation... At a, at a tremendous price. It's, it's possible all of a sudden. And it's interesting when you read ancient uh, rabbis on, on this whole topic of, of full repentance. Because they talk about full repentance really is when a person faces a similar situation again. Uh, they face a situation which they had failed the first time. They had fallen. They, they had sinned. And they face the situation one more time. Only this time they don't sin. They get it right. The brothers get it right this time. Now Joseph knows. Now Joseph knows that the whole charade that he's been going through has to come to an end. Now Joseph knows that the mask has to to come off. Scripture says that he asked the Egyptians to all leave the room. And Joseph, this strong, resilient, powerful man. Joseph, this guy that absolutely could not be broken by betrayal, by enslavement, by seduction, by false accusations, by imprisonment. Joseph, Scripture says he wept so loud that the Egyptians that were outside the stone walls could hear him through the walls. And friends, I want to suggest to you that's the power of reconciliation. Joseph now is alone. Just him and his brothers. He says, please come closer. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. That, that must have been quite a moment. Can, can you imagine that for a moment? 22 years of pain. 22 years of guilt piling up. 22 years of brokenness in their hearts and their family says then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them and after that they began talking freely with him, talking freely, something they couldn't do when he wore that hated robe, something that they had struggled with, they'd quit doing, and now they're talking and Joseph tells his brothers, he says, "Go home, tell Dad." Tell dad that his son, Joseph's still alive. Joseph says, go back and get dad and bring the whole family to Egypt. I'll take care of you. And I think there's something that you can miss in this story because it's not really in the story. I mean, you don't read it, but it's there. This means that the brothers have to tell dad what they did 22 years ago, don't they? They finally have to tell the truth. And that's how it is with reconciliation. It's not not avoiding. It's not covering up. It requires truth. It requires repentance. There's a difference between, like, forgiving someone and reconciling. Because forgiveness is something that you can do on your own. Something you can decide to do. You can give up the right to get even with someone. You can pray for someone. You can forgive them. Even if that person never says, I'm sorry. Even if that person never repents. You can still forgive. But reconciliation? It's a miracle. It's rebuilding community. It's rebuilding relationships. It's rebuilding trust in one another. And it's only possible when there's truth, when there's repentance. Twenty-two years, Joseph, his brothers, his father, broken, fallen. It's a mess. Family's a mess. After all the fallen mess in Genesis, for the first time... You have family, and I, I don't want to suggest that reconciliation is easy or orderly, or that it's quick. In fact, it can take a long time. It can take a lifetime. But when you think you're done, you realize there's still more to do. It's it's interesting. Jacob dies. The brothers freak out, basically, because now their minds are racing. They're going, you know what? Maybe Joseph was holding a grudge. Maybe he's going to pay us back now. See, the buffer zone's gone. Dad's gone. So they go to Joseph one more time. They, they send word to Joseph, kind of recounting what they had done to him. And they ask for forgiveness. And it says... So the servants of God, of your father, beg you to forgive our sins. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. The brothers come, they they bow at Joseph's feet. And they say, we are your slaves. Just like the dream. They're bowing before him. And what I find interesting is it's not Joseph's dream anymore. Joseph raises his brothers up. And he says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I could punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You read on in the chapter, at the end of the chapter, very last words, it says Joseph reassures his brothers and he spoke kindly to them. All the king's horses, all the king's men, they couldn't do it. There's a deal going down. And here's a question I've got for you today. That's where the rubber hits the road. What relationship... In your life needs reconciliation. And I I am absolutely fully aware that as I say that, for some of you that makes you angry, makes you mad inside, makes you crazy inside. You know, when you think about that person that, that hurt you so badly, that maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a child, maybe a business partner, maybe a friend. You know, that person that lied about you. That person that cheated you. That person that betrayed you. That person that you're thinking about right now. And you're thinking, they don't deserve it. And you know what? You may be right. You may be absolutely right. Joseph's brothers did not deserve it. I don't deserve it. And neither do you. But you do it anyway. You do it because there was another young dreamer that came to this world. And he was stripped of his robe. He was betrayed. He was deserted by his brothers. He took on that fallen world, that broken world, that shattered world. And he paid the debt on the cross. And he let himself be punished. He let it all fall on him. And Paul says all this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't do it, but God could. And if you're a Christian, God has given you the ministry of reconciliation, which means that resentment and hostility and judgment and superiority and withdrawal, it's not an option anymore. It's not an option. It's a new deal. It's a new deal. If there's brokenness in your life as a Christian, you've got to make a move. You've got to take a step. You've got to forgive. You've got to seek reconciliation it's messy it's difficult but it's call of god you know if you need counsel get counsel from a mature wise christian you know you need prayer ask someone to pray for you you know pray on a daily basis if you've tried 20 times you try 21 and god's speaking to some of you right now it's broken broken And friends, you just got to remember, with God, all things are possible. The ministry of reconciliation also means that when you see someone that's fallen, you see someone that's broken, you see someone that's pushed aside, someone that's pushed in the pit, that's shut out or shut down, when you see someone that, that has been mistreated or overlooked, when you see them, The rest of the world can sit on the sideline. They can shrug their shoulders go, eh, who cares. But not us. New deal. Your heart should break. You should let God use you. We no longer look at people from a worldly point of view. New deal. You can't write them off. You can't disregard them. Why? Because as Christians, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's the highest call from God. The highest call. Let's stand and bow in a word of prayer to God. God, this world is so broken. And God, I know there's not a person here. doesn't live with that brokenness. Broken friendships, broken promises, broken trust. God, I know that's not Your design. It's not Your will for our lives that everything just be shattered. God, I pray that... uh, Whatever names, faces, situations pop in our head, that um, you give us the courage to seek harmony. Shalom. God, you have created fearfully and wonderfully. God, it may seem impossible in our minds. I know with you all things are possible. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to reconcile us. Even though it meant giving up your son. God, I marvel at that every day. God, I pray that um, as we step forward, that you just take that weight off our shoulders, that guilt, that shame. We just be the people that you've called us to be, created us to be. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Let's lift our voices to God this morning.